get me. From Studio P, Sausalito, home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast commentator, Mark Hershon. Yes, it's Mark Hershon. And we are back with episode 22 of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. Apologies once again for being so long between episodes. I keep trying to go very regularly with our installments, but life keeps getting in the way. I've been in the process of moving and have not had regular internet connections for uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, That's uh, finally coming to a close. And I will upload this from my office, which is good. But uh, things are finally coming together. We actually have a great episode for you, an interview with uh, director, comedian Jordan Brady. He uh, put together the documentary called I Am Comic that was out, uh, came out in 2010. It's a great uh, documentary with uh, comic Rich Scheidner getting back on the boards after a number of years and uh, following his uh, trials and travails, shaking out the cobwebs and uh, the mothballs and getting back up on the comedy stage. So check out I Am Comic. Check out our interview coming up shortly. We also have some great clips for you, as usual. Uh, before we get to those, wanted to remind you that we do have our Succotash store. If you want some T-shirts or coffee mug, mouse pad, Uh, any kind of merchandise. Uh, If you don't see anything, as a matter of fact, on the web store that you would like, uh, we can probably slap our Succotash logo on it. So uh, you can drop us a line here and we'll do it. Easiest way to get to the web store, just go to our website, SuccotashShow.com, and click on the link to the Succotashery. Uh, Get yourself some Succotash all over yourself. Uh, I uh, am sad to report that our Save our hard drive drive is not doing very well. We still have less than 100 bucks in the coffers to uh, try and repair this external hard drive that has some lost interviews on it with uh, people like uh, Ed Krasnick and Steve Smith. And um, all you need to do is go up to SuckatashShow.com and click on our donate button, and uh, that money will go to get that drive repaired and uh, pull that and some other material off of that drive. What else can I tell you? I guess that's about it. Uh, I am recording this from uh, home, so I'm not in Studio P this time, which means I do not have the uh, assistance of our engineer producer, Joe Polino, unfortunately. Uh, We do have Bill Haywatt, our announcer, pre-recorded, which is helpful. And uh, other than that, though, try and bring you the best quality we can. The the Jordan Brady interview, for instance, uh, we did over Skype, and uh, we had a couple of uh, kind of dropouts and mishaps there, but uh, tried to balance it as best I could for you. Let's get into um, some clips. We've got some clips uh, coming up later in the show that Jordan actually listens to from podcasts he likes. But in the meantime, here's some, uh, some new clips for you folks I've never played before. Uh, the first one is from... The Pub Guys podcast. Uh, this is Brian, Kyle, Terrell, Mike, and Curtis from North Texas. 
And uh, they've gotten their collective shit together, I guess, because they've now posted more than 90 eppies of pub guys. And they record their shows in an actual pub, drinking actual drinks and shooting actual shit. This is from a regular segment they do called Two for Twenty. It's a kind of rapid call and response to this or that questions. While they may not be as spit and polished as some of uh, your big city podcasts might be, they do have a good time and they're exceedingly podcast friendly, uh, consistently giving shout outs to other podcasters, carrying ads for them on their own website and generally being good old boys all around. Uh, they've even listed Succotash on their POQ or podcast of quality as they call it. So thanks pub guys. Give them a listen. Carol, what are you? I, I skip right straight to the box. So I have a weird show. Yes. I will drink Ziegenbach over any other if, it, if this is the choice between this and Bud Light, I am drinking Z. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, you guys, you freaking right, right, beer right. snobs. Let's get over to two, and 20, two for 20, which is two minutes, hopefully up to 20 questions. One have we ever other. gotten the 20 questions? No, I don't think we have. <laughs> it's a goal. It's a goal. It's like a quota that you probably can't reach. But Right, right. Now, there is a thread that goes from question to question. Right. Some of them are... F- more far-reaching threads, so we'll have yes. to explain them after the fact, but, sure. we, will, but we will. Um, we and they're brought to us by our boy, Cloby Time, down in Austin, that's Texas. Right. That's right. Loyal listener, Cloby Time. That's right. And if I may, I will go through the last three that we had last week. Right, okay. Okay, so we had watch a game live at 3 a.m. or the next day via tape delay. Right. Be very late for work or hungover at work. Right. Fired from a hated job, stressful or relief? That was a good discussion we had about that one. But, yeah, yeah, that's, those are some good questions to uh, finish last week's 2 for 20. Right. So I'll ask the question. I'll answer it. Then we'll go around the table clockwise. Correct. And uh, once that's done, if we have any thought-provoking ideas, we'll go back. Which we usually do. We usually Normally have. we do. Yeah. All right. You ready with the shot clock? Ibuprofen or aspirin? Ibuprofen. 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 Yeah, ibuprofen. Heart attack or impotent? Uh, <laughs> heart attack. Heart attack. Heart attack. I'll heart take my chances. Heart attack. Heart attack. Pasta or rice? Uh, pasta? Rice. Rice. Pasta. Ooh, pasta. Jerry Rice or Joe Montana? Uh, <laughs> Joe Montana. <laughs> Neither. Montana. Montana. Yeah, Joe Montana. Helen Hunt or Annette Benning? Uh, Annette Benning. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt is borderline hot. Annette Benning. I like Annette Benning, please. Barack Obama or George W. Bush? Uh, George W. Bush. Bush. George W. Bush. That'll be the W. Bush. Bush and no beer or beer and no bush? Uh, bush and no beer. Bush and no beer. Bush and no beer. Bush and no beer. I want her to shave, so I'll go beer and no bush. <laughs> shaved or hairy? Uh, shaved. 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 Hairy. Oh, gross. Oh, God. Rennie, shaved. Hair pie. Prince Harry or Prince William? Uh, Prince Harry. <laughs> Prince Harry. <laughs> Chloe's on fire. He is on fire. <laughs> Prince Harry. Uh, Prince Harry. Harry. Royal or doodle? Uh, royal. <laughs> doodle. Royal. Doodle. Okay. Um, doodle. Royal. Yankee doodle, Yankee doodle Dandy or you're a grand old flag? Uh, you're a grand old flag. You're a grand old flag. 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 Broadway or Hollywood? Hollywood. 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 Broadway. Broadway. Ben Affleck or Affleck Insurance? Affleck Insurance. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, bro. He was in Dogma. Affleck Insurance. Uh, you would. Ben Affleck. Peking Duck or Roast Goose? Uh, Peking Duck. Peking Duck. 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 
Duck. Love the duck. Comedy roast or award ceremony? Comedy roast. Comedy roast. 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 <laughs> yeah, roast. Lose and play fair or win and cheat? Uh, oh, he said it. Oh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> a- <laughs> It's like oh. he knew. Cloby time from way down. So let's finish. Cloby time for three on the foul. <laughs> that was great. Lose and play fair or win and cheat. I say lose and play fair. Lose and play fair. Lose and play fair. Lose and play fair. I'm going to say cheat just so we can oh, drink. Just <laughs> you can drink, you <laughs> oh, mother. That would be the UT fan. Right, so, hey, hey, so, hey, so, hey. So Cloby felt razor. obliged to help with some of the jumps from question I, to question? I don't think he needed to. I, those were pretty so, freaking good. But go ahead. Pasta or rice? Okay, so heart attack or <laughs> impotent to g- went to pasta or rice. And Almost li- plays into the trivia question that Adam had earlier, man. It's like I'm telling how you. We, the Cosmos have come together for tonight's he, episode. And he, the segue was limp noodles. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> now we went from, we, 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 we went from uh, Jerry Rice or Joe Montana to Helen Hunt and Annette Benning, and that's the capital of Montana is Helena. Uh, okay. Okay. okay, all right, all right, all right. Hang on, though. So the are we going to talk about these, or are we going to just yeah, do the transitions? Just do the transitions real quick. And, all then, right. and then Hunt and Benning to Obama and Bush was Benning starting the American president. All right, that's the Pub Guys. Catch them on their home site at pubguys.com, or grab some on iTunes or on Stitcher Smart Radio. And while you're at it, you can also hear us on Stitcher Smart Radio, so check it out. Next up is a new show to me, maybe a new show to you, called Tiny Odd Conversations. I just reviewed these guys for This Week in Comedy Podcasts over on Splitsider.com, which I do every week. I don't, I don't review Tiny Odd Conversations every week, but different <laughs> podcasts. Anyway, uh, I can play you a piece of this show here on Succotash, of course. Travis and Brandy, the two hosts, are married to each other, and they've apparently decided that a podcast is a great way to air their differences, a process made slightly more awkward with a guest. It's actually a very entertaining show, and although neither host is a comedian by trade, Travis's dad is comic and actor Blake Clark. And although they've done over 40 shows, this This is the first time, I think, that Dad's dropped in for a visit. If you don't recognize Blake's name, you should be able to get a beat on him from his voice. So give this a listen. Here's here's the thing I'm wondering about, because I'm about the age that you were when you moved to to Los Angeles to be uh, a comic and an actor. After Uh, I had failed at everything else. Well, well, you did open a wine and cheese shop in the... Middle of rural Georgia. That wasn't exactly the smartest. It was ahead thing. of the curve, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, still ahead of the curve. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I wrestle with the idea of ever being a parent. Like, I just, I don't know how you made that leap from. Here's uh, let's have a kid because I, I look at it as I just don't know if I can do it. I, just I was, you know, it was the same way when we first got married. Or when we first were even dating and then got engaged, and I was just saying, I don't want to have kids, I don't want to have this, you know, because once you have kids, but... So it's genetic. No. <laughs> once once we'd been married for a couple of years and we had a dog, you know, Rasputin. Crazy dog. <laughs> crazy. He was crazy. Uh, I kind of experimented on him, and he turned out crazy. <laughs> so, so then I get, you know, I think maybe the thing with... Uh, with the kid, you don't do certain things, you know. So um, I was ready to have him, and you were a great kid. and still are. I mean, you're not a kid, but, uh, you know, we had 
We had a couple of run-ins when you were a teenager. and But that's to be expected. Sure, but I didn't have that with my dad because he died when I was 14. I mean, I, I know I disappointed him a few. Uh, there was a few things that happened that he was greatly disappointed in, you know, the way that I was heading. But as far as having that teenage confrontation, head-to-head confrontation, I never had it with my dad because, uh, first of all, uh, he was a coach, and I was, you know, wanted to be an athlete. Thought I was an athlete. Thought I was going to be an athlete. Um, so he was my like my hero. And he was he got sick when I was like twelve and died when I was fourteen. So there was like a two year grace period there where I, you know, knew he was going to die, and he knew he was going. Everybody knew he was going to die. Just a matter of when. So I never went through that with him. My brother did, Jay, who's dead now. Uh, he went through it with him, but I didn't. So, and we, you know, we had a couple of head-to-head things, but we never really had that either. So, of course, I was gone a lot. Yeah, well, that was that was the thing I wanted to talk about that was uh, um, about growing up the son of a, of a working comic. Like, yeah. you were on the road basically providing for the family the majority of at least my teenage years is when I'm like my formative kind of like 12-ish to to and and another thing I felt bad about is that I could never make a promise to you that I knew 100% that I was going to be able to keep and you put up with a lot I mean you bore it with a good you know stayed and and selfless uh, attitude uh, you know you knew i guess you could see that no i think he'd rather go camping with me but he's got to go do this because right. he can't turn down that kind of money we need the money you know or you know like you said <laughs> at the beginning we were eating off a damn yeah, we, ironing board that yeah. was our table and, yeah uh, so there you go you can go pick yourself up some more tiny and more odd over at toc pod com, And they are also on iTunes. Uh, one more clip before we get to our interview with Jordan Brady. This is an interesting concept for a show. It's called Dylan Brody's Neighbor's Couch. And uh, the host is Darren Staley. Uh, and to hear the about section of his website tell it, he contacted comedian Dylan Brody in Los Angeles and asked if he could crash on his couch when he came out to pursue his own comedy career. Dylan reportedly said that there wasn't room at his place, but that Darren was free to surf on his neighbor's couch, which was not in the house, but on the curb. Now, I can't really tell how much, if any, of that story is true, but Darren regularly interviews comedians and others live through blog talk radio on the phone, including this snippet with actress TV hostess Suzanne Wong. You can pick him up on blog talk radio or on iTunes. Take it away, Darren Staley. read that you're a minister, would you consider yourself more Pat Robertson or Jerry Falwell? <laughs> Neither. I would consider myself um, the funny, vulgar, irreverent minister. In fact, I like to call myself irreverend Suzanne Huang. So you, you actually curse during your ministry? Um, yeah, I mean... Is that true? Do I actually curse? No, but I but I push the I push it to the limit. <clears throat> I recently did a um, a spoken word performance because I'm uh, living with stage four breast cancer, which I don't know if you found that in your notes, but um, 
I recently did yeah, a performance you just where. Just my joke later, but go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. So <laughs> I um I do a, a a performance that incorporates humor and uh, visual aids and stuff into my into my act, and um, and so after I did one of these performances, uh, my friend Gary Shapiro. Do you know Gary Shapiro? Uh, no. He's a stand-up comedian. You should have him on your couch. Anyway, um, somebody asked no, him, Shap- so how is Suzanne's show? Not Rick Shapiro, Gary Shapiro. Both of them are brilliantly funny. Um, someone asked Gary Shapiro, so you saw Suzanne's uh, performance about her journey with cancer. Uh, did she push the envelope? And Gary Shapiro says, wait, am I allowed to swear on this show? Oh, yes, all, all okay. the time, please. So Gary Shapiro says, no, Suzanne didn't just push the envelope. She she pushed the envelope and then she ripped the envelope into a million pieces and she threw all the pieces on the floor and then she set the pieces on fire and then she ate the ashes and then she shat them out. <laughs> you literally did that? I just want to be clear. No, that's what he's saying that I, metaphorically speaking I didn't just push the envelope. That's what I did. But if you literally did that, you should be charging admission to your stuff. I, mean, I would pay to see that. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's get into a semi-serious question here. Uh, you know, you are my second favorite female Asian, uh, Asian comedian just behind George Takei. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, my God, wait a minute, let me take that in. <laughs> okay. That was fucking hilarious, Darren. Oh, my God, I'm so happy that you just made me laugh so hard. Oh, thank God. I have my moments. Uh, Oh, my God. That was so fucking funny. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Is is there a question? You know know, I wrote that myself. I'm ecstatic. (laughs) I'm ecstatic uh, that you wrote that. That was the perfect uh, setup because everyone everyone thinks you're going to say Margaret Cho, and then you say George Takei. It's brilliant. I am visiting via Skype with Jordan Brady. In, Hi, everyone. Are you in Los Angeles? Yeah, I'm in L.A. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, Jordan Brady is a film director. Uh, you may know him from the documentary <laughs> I Am Comic, which, uh, when did that get released, actually? That got released in 2010. Oh, okay. So not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, it's a great movie, and actually, uh, having seen that film, I ended up getting reunited with Rich Schreidner, uh, the uh, the sort of focus for the film. Rich Schreidner is the heart and soul of the movie. <laughs> it's uh, I am comic is a uh, your maybe uh, your listeners already know it's a documentary on sort of the ins and outs, the occupational hazards and joys of stand up comedy. So we examined, uh, we interviewed about 120 working comedians. Wow. And 86 of them made it into an 87-minute film. <laughs> That's pretty good. It was, it was tight, yeah. Um, and really, it was following the journey of Rich kind of getting back into stand-up. Um, he'd been away from it. And as I understand, when I, God bless you. Thank you. Sorry. You're right. Too much scope, yeah. <laughs> um, as I understand, because when I talked to Rich, um, he was helping you out, sort of helping you produce the film. And then uh, you guys were trying to figure out who the movie was supposed to be about. But maybe I have that story wrong. No, that's correct. It's uh, What happened was we started 
I'd always wanted to do a documentary on stand-up comedy. I was a stand-up comic. I had dabbled, which is hard to dabble in stand-up, by the way. It's really heartbreaking well, you, to you dabble. Were more, you were more than a dabbler. I don't know. No, I mean, in recent years. Oh, like, in while recent I've years, been directing, yes. I, I've dabbled, and it's really hard to keep one toe in the water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I always wanted to make a movie so I could explain what I did. To your and, parents? My parents, well, my parents, to my clients when I do commercials, to my kids who make fun of me. Uh, like, hey, Dad, still have the green suit from the 90s with the shoulder pads when you did comedy? Dad, show us how to roll up the sleeves on our jacket. <laughs> yeah. Dad, what's with the poofy hair and the vest? I really like that look. Uh, so I wanted to make this documentary, and I'd read all the books. I've seen all the other documentaries and whatnot. And then uh, uh, a strange algorithm in the Matrix in Amazon.com's website recommended I read Rich Seidner's book. Oh, funny. Called I Killed. It was like, hey, you've bought these books. Mm -hmm. You should read Rich Seidner's book. So I bought <laughs> Rich's book and I read it and I called Rich and uh, we talked about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't do stand-up uh, no, I haven't been doing it for 13 years. No, but I'll, I'll help you get some names for the for the interviews. So Rich was doing some interviews. We'd come up with questions. We figured out the thesis. And I had always maintained, he'd be like, oh, I can't believe we got Rick Overton. And I go, it's a great interview. Oh, it's going to be good. I'm kind of slipping into Bobby Slayton a little bit. Uh, there's there's a lot of Schneider there. <laughs> and I'd say, a, a, a series of talking heads does not a movie make. Mm-hmm. And we need a soul. So I tried to come up with gimmicks like build a comic. We'll take an open micer and we'll take him to New York and we'll get him sets and we'll put him with, you know, seasoned veterans to help him or her with jokes. And that, that didn't quite work out. Uh, there was a couple other gimmicks. Like everybody says, fall an open micer. That's eh, kind of been done. And how interesting is that really to me? Not uh, much. Yeah, I mean the the story the story arc is basically the same every time. You know, right. They eventually get on the big TV show or they don't. And I'm I'm not uh, I'm not above manipulating them to get on the TV show. No. Like at one point it was find the kid that's going to break on a TV show, and then follow them around and edit it to look like they just started. <laughs> like yeah, I I wanted to make a movie as I'm not, I'm not a big verite. Uh, stickler to the rules. Right. So, but then what happened in real life is Rich, uh, and, and I love the guy. I worked with him in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, Rich was like a caged tiger when he would uh, interview the comedians. Right. And then one night we were watching a show after we interviewed guys in the, at the comedy, David Tell and Judy Gold at the Comedy Cellar in New York. And we, the, we were invited to watch a show, and I'm sitting there with the crew, and we're laughing and eating nachos, and Rich got up and split, and I found him a couple hours later in the park, and he's like, I, 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 I just can't sit in there. <laughs> and that's when I, I said, well, you have to do stand-up. Ah. You have to go. You are the movie. I don't know. I don't know. No, Rich, you have to do it. <laughs> he stepped up. He stepped up to the plate. He did, and it was fascinating watching that sort of transformation back into performer. Uh, right. He came alive. Yeah. Yeah. And how was it for you 
following that story, being a guy who stepped away from stand-up, and now you were sort of uh, through through his tale and your telling of it, sort of back in it. Well, I I make a lot of TV commercials. I direct a lot of uh, mediocre television commercials. <laughs> and when when I have clients that are fun guys to hang out with, you know, they come in town from New York or Chicago or you know, even in L.A., like, hey, let's, let's go after our big dinner before the shoot. Let's go to the UCB nowadays or right. the improv or the comedy store, Laugh Factory. And we see people that, you know, I just love watching. So I've been, I've been in the world. From, uh, in fact, Dana Gould is one of my all-time favorite comedians. Love Dana. And I sat in at the UCB Theater in L.A. This is like five, six years ago watching him. And sat next to his wife, and he came by the before the show. He goes, "You're cured. <laughs> You're cured. You can actually sit here and watch a show." Funny. So uh, it, it was interesting to. I mean, I've now done a bunch of sets because young guys that book shows will say on Facebook, like, "Hey, you want to do a set?" And I scratch my head, going, "Well, how do you how do you know I don't suck?" <laughs> Just because I made a movie about it, right? Like, I wouldn't want Ken Burns on my baseball team. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, so the movie got uh, good reviews, and uh, a lot of people saw it. Um, what, what, what made you happiest about putting that particular story together? My, the happiest thing, Mark, is that comedians seem to like it. And then Dana saying to me after he saw it, that's my story. Mm. Jeff Fox were really saying, I can put the DVD on a shelf, and when my grandkids say, what did you do, they can go watch the movie. Oh, funny. Yeah. What weren't you able to capture uh, telling the story, do you think? Or was there anything? Maybe you got it all. Oh, there, there's so much. First of all, it's a lot of old white guys. <laughs> True. A lot of old white guys in the movie because that was what Rich was bringing to the table my generation is primarily, you know, white guys and hipster women now in their 40s. Yeah. And I wish I had more of the young sort of writer, performer sketch thing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a whole documentary on podcast. Yeah. Starting I mean, anyway. <laughs> the podcasts were really just starting to talk off, take off. I was filming in 2009. And I would just shoot on the end of commercials because I had a free crew. Right. And then sometimes I had a, a like... With Lewis Black, it was me with a camcorder shoving a mic down his pants. <laughs> he said, you know, he had five minutes before he went on stage. And so uh, I wish I had more time and money to get more great comedians, uh, a younger set. There is talk of a sequel focusing on the urban crowd of comics uh, that I call Weeby Comics. <laughs> uh <clears throat> But it's interesting because, like, what you're doing is really cool because you're like, you're you're your own podcast, but then you have like this talk soup of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's like the best of. Uh, sometimes it's the best of. <laughs> sometimes it's not. Um, and to tell you the truth, talk soup's a good example because when I first came up with the idea, I was going to do that sort of a treatment. And I realized quickly that the industry is so young, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I don't want to take, be the one who killed it by taking some of these guys to task because of their poor performance quality. 
if that makes any sense. You know, I mean, some uh, of these... No, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would, why would you kill it? Well, just um, maybe not kill it, but come off as sort of the podcast bad guy. Because there's a lot of people that are doing these podcasts that are sitting on a couch in Cincinnati and don't have any performance ability right, and right. are coming off as comics. And I think their interest is helping spur the industry of podcasting as a whole. So my worry is if I say, well, here's, here's an example of a show that really sucks. <laughs> yeah, well, that might not be good. But, yeah. but it's also you have to filter out. I mean, to me, it's always useful. Uh, it's always useful when someone curates yes. a show, when someone that I trust says, hey, here's stuff you'll like. And I do do that. Yeah. I mean, I put stuff up that's kind of on the edge but has something going for it. You know, and you just said doo-doo, I <laughs> which I love. And if you can say doo-doo on a podcast, you're a of hit. Of course you can. Um, and w I guess people are asking, where is the Jordan Brady podcast? That's what I, wanted, I wanted to do a podcast. And I got a, I got a podcast in a box for Christmas. Oh, okay. Actually, I said that to Rich. He goes, really? They have that at Best Buy? I go, no, I was trying to make a joke, but I guess I was a little too subtle. Uh, I, would, I would love to do one about parenting. Oh, that's an interesting uh, subject for sure. And uh, Stephanie Wilder is a comedian that has a successful one that I think just got turned into a show. Oh, wow. Okay. Mine's a little different because my kids are teenagers and we hang out together. I mean, they're I'm relatively a younger dad with teenagers. Okay. Now I have two stepdaughters that are 11, in the 11-year-old twins in the other room, and they're like precious and to be protected – and my boys and I like camp at Coachella and trip, you know. So it's a whole different wow. dichotomy of parenting between the daughters that I did not birth and then the, the, the boys that are of my loin that attack me. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, I was trying to think today uh, when we were moving closer to the time to record this. I'm trying to remember where you and I first met. Was it in San Francisco? I think it was at the punchline. Yeah. Yeah, it was in San Francisco. I mean, you ran the, the competition. Yep, I helped the, the Foxes. Uh, I was sort of an associate producer for a while and uh, helped book. I booked the Punchline and Rooster Feathers. And uh, for a little period of time, this may have been before you got into it, I used to run the Comedy Underground up in Seattle. Yeah, I think that was maybe a little. I came in, the, uh, I came in 1986. I was working in Atlanta, Georgia at a, a, a non-affiliated punchline uh, to the San Francisco yes. punchline. Yeah. And, I, and the holy grail in the 80s for a comic that wanted to be – like you either went to New York or L.A., but if you really wanted to like learn the craft, you'd go to San Francisco or maybe Boston. Because you could find your voice there. You weren't yeah. just performing for the industry. Yeah, because when I was a young comic, I was like half Joe Bolster – and half very Sobel. And I was working in, uh, I, I met a woman, Janine, gosh, what is, she's an improviser, sweet. Janine Hanson. Janine Hanson. Sure. And God love her. She had a room that was for rent at her apartment. I said, I'll take it. That, that room is still for rent. <laughs> or not. I think Warren Thomas has lived there. Well, uh, that's the whole, oh man. So that's my story. I move out there. It was, I'd opened for Dennis Miller when he was, he wasn't even Dennis Miller. He was just 
uh, not Chevy Chase doing news <laughs> on Saturday Night Live for you comedy nerds. And I opened for him, and I was talking. To, I went to New York. He showed me the show, and he was he helped David Spade. He helped uh, Rob Schneider and these guys. And for me, it was just advice. It was like, hey, babe, what do you want to be, king of the Appalachians? Why don't you, uh, why don't you go west, babe, to Frisco? So I took Janine's room in her apartment, sight unseen, never been to – I've been to L.A., but I've never been to San Francisco. Is this interesting? Because I can yeah, change. No this, no, this is perfect. I can I can change topics in a heartbeat. No, no. Um, I think I, I, there's a – I found there's a, a real connection between podcasters who are just starting out, which makes up a lot of my audience, and the comedy nerds that like to listen to the interviews on the show. There's sort of a uh, – I don't know. It's a sympathetic vibration between new cultures. Oh, that's well put. Well said. Um, Warren Thomas, yes, the one of the Warren the late Warren Thomas, was like this crazy, funny, just himself on stage, and the king of San Francisco when I moved here, when I moved to San Francisco. Right. Yeah. He also lived in Janine's apartment. That's right. And no one told Warren Thomas the king. That the court jester from the East Coast was coming to live, <laughs> and I was I was twenty one or something like that, and uh, I just wanted to immediately be friends. I was like a puppy, like, hey, let's all be funny, let's all just hang out. And he was there with this guy Bob Rubin, who sure. was just off the wall, fucking funny. John Ross lived yep. there, and Janine goes off to Europe. The only one I knew is not there, <laughs> and uh, I, I I wasn't as welcomed. I mean, Warren, God rest his soul, would not even remember some of the uh, the uh, uh, the attacks <laughs> that came at me. And I stayed a few months and did a show called uh, the Good Time Cafe. It was like oh, yeah. the, like the local com- comedy show. Yeah, that it was, was like a KGO affiliate, right? KGO yeah, and I, I did the show and then moved. Oh, okay. Moved to L.A. like after six months. <laughs> but uh, that that time in San Francisco was so great, Mark, because uh, I moved there. Four days later, I bought a motorcycle. I would just tool around the city. And I wanted to do the, uh, the competition. competition. And I believe it was you or the Foxes advised, well, why don't you just live here for a while before you do the competition? Like if you're here to live, just get into the scene and more or less find your voice and then do it. Because it's not like I was going to come off of the road and win the San Francisco comedy competition. Like it wasn't – do you know what I mean? It was, it was good yeah. advice. Yeah, yeah. No, it, you have to get your footing for sure. Yeah, well, I almost felt like if I said, no, I'm not moving here. I'm just here for the competition. Maybe I would have gotten a shot. Oh, yeah. But because it was, well, no, I moved here. Well, then you pay your dues. So it, it didn't matter. I mean it was – it was a fun time and, and just riding the motorcycle from club to club and doing sets. And I mean, it, it was, I still think it was one of the best experiences of my life. Well, it's definitely a great time in not just San Francisco comedy, but all over the country because a comic could live in one place and get enough one nighter work and the occasional week to actually make a living. If you drove within 45 minutes to an hour, you got 125 bucks for a set. Yeah, and since you were on a motorcycle, you didn't have to drive any other comics. <laughs> right. Uh, there, was a, there was a great documentary about the Boston scene of that time when stand-up stood out. 
Was that the Fran Solomita? Fran Solomita's movie? Yeah. Uh, which I loved. Loved that movie. I saw him while he was editing it. My only criticism, and Fran knows this, uh, they, they started in, uh, like, with San Francisco had the Holy City Zoo. Yeah. Boston had the Ding Ho, which was a Chinese restaurant where they did shows in the back. And I thought that would have been a better title, like A Night at the Ding Ho. Like, I would love to make a movie with the name Ding Ho in it. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I'd love to call myself Ding Ho. Why not? I'll call you Ding Ho for the rest of the interview if let's, you like. Let's do it. Thanks, uh, Ding. So you went, you went to L.A., and, and how did your stand-up progress at that point? It was thwarted. Ah. Because I just did the same 10 to 15 minutes that I did on, on every cable television show there was. And, but, but no, I would go on the road for like two or three weeks and then develop material. And I was like a middle act, uh, maybe a co-headliner. And then I would come back to L.A. and, and work in television well, when you got to L.A., did you go, okay, I finally arrived, I can get into television? Or you were somewhat regretful you couldn't develop your stand-up? I, was, I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I just wanted acting gigs to because they paid really good. Right. You know, well, I, I, I was wanted to be on a show so I could be a better stand-up, like a better paid stand-up yeah. and draw crowds and, and that kind of stuff. So I never, ever aspired to be an actor. What had you done that uh, prior to getting into stand-up? What was your career path? Well, here I'm going to hold up. I wish, I wish your viewers or listeners could see this. Well, I'll tell you what. Hold it up, and I will uh, take a screenshot of it. Well, it's got a, it's got a check number, so I don't oh, want right. to. Well, I, I can blur it out. Okay, okay. Uh, well, wait a minute. It's not even. It doesn't matter. Okay, can you see that? Five dollars okay. and forty-five cents. This. This is a, a check for $5.45 from a rerun of Empty Nest. Uh, it was like Mulligan. a golden girl spin. Yeah, Richard Mulligan. <clears throat> so that was my career path was those kind of like walk-on parts. Like you had Fred, Fred Stoller on. Yes. So it, it was that kind of thing, but not as prevalent as Freddie. I mean, it was just... I, know. I just, I just got uh, $12 from my appearance on my own Hallmark TV movie. There you go. What was that Hallmark TV movie? Oh, I've done... Night of the Ding Ho 2? Yes. No, I wrote three movies for the Hallmark Channel. And, oh, brilliant. Uh, I, I got to be in them all, which was cool. Oh, that's, a, that's the dream right there. <laughs> you youngsters living, listening right now, you, if you write and you write yourself in it, yes, that's I, the gold ticket. And I found the secret to writing yourself in a movie, particularly when they don't even know if you can act. Please, please do tell the preacher. Uh, well, not the preacher, but I found if I wrote at least one scene that my character had with as many principles as possible, <laughs> you couldn't be cut out. And then if I had one line that was key to the information in the movie, I was had at least two scenes. <laughs> so basically, you're saying write yourself as soothsayer. Uh, that delivers works. like the, the, the golden nugget or... Uh, I was always uh, the maintenance man. If you look at all my movies, I'm always a maintenance man. Oh, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was my secret of surviving and uh, still getting residuals to this day. So what the hell? Oh, I love it. I love those stories. <laughs> okay. So I'm sorry. I interrupted uh, how you were getting into stand-up to begin with. Oh, how I got into stand-up? Yes. I, I, I'm... Uh... 
Let's Get Small. Oh, from uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin comedy album. And yeah. and I had some Carlin albums and uh, even some Red. I grew up in Ohio and then Virginia, where in Virginia I was introduced to Red Fox uh, albums. They were party albums and they were really dirty material. And it was hilarious. But it was Steve, It was listening and memorizing Steve Martin uh, that made me think, but this is exactly what I want to do. It was either it was either Steve Martin or Darren Stevens from Bewitched. I thought he had a good job coming up with crazy jingles and commercials and stuff. I know the feeling. Although if you were Darren Stevens, you had to pick which one you were. Right. The, the, the real world doesn't know there is no Darren Stevens job. That's right. <laughs> it's it split into two or three people. He was he was the conglomeration of the art director, the copywriter, the account guy, the you name it. He was the John Hamm of his day. Yeah. Madman without the witch. Which is, I think, less interesting. I think Madman needs a witch. So you uh, they're going to do in a season or two. They're going to have to spice it up and bring in a witch. When they jump the shark, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so when you, uh, you cut your teeth on Steve Martin and these other comedy albums, how did you actualize getting on stage? What was your first experience? In college, they had coffee houses, you know, coffee house nights where you could do anything, you know, sing a song or do stand-up comedy. And I did a, like a contest on campus and won, and I got to meet uh, David Brenner and Robert Klein, who still can't stop his leg. <laughs> still can't. That's going way back. That's fine. Uh, and then uh, and they had a uh, in uh, clearly I, I was a product of the comedy boom of the '80s because there was a comedy club in the basement of this British pub where you could reach up and touch the ceiling and seated about a hundred people. I mean, it was so cool and dank and damp and, you know, it was just, it's everything you think of a comedy club should be in. A, yeah. It sounds it, like the perfect environment for cultivating young comics. It was, it was. And there was a group of young comedians and the boom was just starting so that this club could afford to have a headliner come down from New York on the weekends. Okay. So because it's a, you know, it was a two or three hour flight from New York or a train you ride or guys would, that would work in D.C. would then go down another hour and a half to Richmond. Right. And then there was a club in Raleigh, North Carolina. Then they would go to the Atlanta, Atlanta Punchline. You could go up and down the East Coast. And Paul Provenza was the guy that would come through. Rick Overton was one of the first comedians I ever saw. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that makes an impression. Oh, and it, he went on. He found out that there were local comedians in the audience, because we are like, we got to see this guy. Yeah. And he goes, you guys are comedians? Oh, let me tell you what a day is like. And he riffed this seven-minute bit about his life that I will never forget. I love it. Paul Provenza, Rich Scheidner was one of the first guys. Rich Jenny. These names mean anything? I know all of them. Yeah. Uh, but, and Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks was a... Uh, uh, I would say he was there four or five times a year. Oh, wow. Okay. He was friends with the booker. Yeah, I met Bill a couple of times. Uh, he played the punchline uh, in San Francisco a few times. I, I worked with him in, in like Greensboro, North Carolina. Wow. You opened for him? Opened for him, yeah, for a week. And just hung out. Like, I didn't know that I was with within uh, working with what became the legend of Bill Hicks. Hmm. He was just a really funny guy that pissed the crowd off a lot. 
Uh, yeah, it was similar, similar to my uh, situation when I was running the uh, Comedy Underground in Seattle because it was just before TV scooped all the comics out of the A-team. So I had Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, Harry Anderson, um, you name it. They were all headlining, but they hadn't gotten their TV shows yet. They hadn't popped. Yes. That, 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 to me, all those names were, were, are so like iconic. In fact, when I got to L.A. and I was started acting, NBC sent me to Paul Reiser's sitcom and said, meet Paul Reiser. Like they introduced us and said, said to Paul, just let him watch what you do because he doesn't know how to act and we don't know how to tell him. And you're a comedian. You may be able to talk the same language. Interesting. But maybe listen. Go? Uh, he just said, well, you, you know, you kind of do what you do. You do the thing and then you'd walk over here, you hit your mark and you don't say a lot. Now, why, why did that era attract so many people to the clubs? Like to me, to me, I look back, you just described guys that were funny, but they weren't, they weren't the draw. It seemed that back then the club was the draw. The well, venue was the draw. Yeah, I mean, when we uh, when I took over the underground, it had been open for a year, and the, that same year, people like I just mentioned came through, and it was people would show up. They didn't know who they were there to see a lot of times, or that was the time when still getting a Tonight Show slot could hit. Right. And John Fox literally knew somebody was doing the show. He would call. He had the number of the green room, and he would call and go. Hey, if you plug the punchline next week, you can headline. That's genius. Yeah, and that literally would happen. They would they would do the show. They get hey, he's going to be at the punchline next week, and he'd sell out. I imagine the phone in the green room at the Tonight Show back then was red under one of those cake things, <laughs> like the bat phone, like the bat phone, and it's like that's John Fox, and then they go, no, I'm a comedian. Let me get that. And like, what's what? Yeah, I'll plug the I'll plug the club. Yeah. But, the, you That's know, fun. there's no show anymore that has that kind of clout. No, no. I, we touched on that a little bit in the documentary that there isn't, you know, that how powerful the Tonight Show was. Like Roseanne Barr remembers that as one of the greatest experiences. Jeff Foxworthy said the same thing. And then now I can't think of anything that does that. No, I remember being in the green room. Uh, I was backstage with Ellen DeGeneres for her third shot. And it was me and Jake Johansson and her brother. And it was just so nervous. And you got to meet Johnny Carson. It was like, this is like another world. Um, and, and nowadays, like you, you asked earlier, Ding, about uh, what's missing from I Am Comic, available on iTunes and Netflix. Uh, this, there's a new thing, like when Patton Oswalt went out with the comedians of comedy, Another great documentary that I, lo I love. Yeah. Um, he, to me, that was the start of I'm going to get with my friends and just go to venues and we're going to be the draw as opposed to the club being the draw right in the first comedy boom in the mid to 200, 2000s, whatever we call it, that he would go out and do that. And then I was just in Kansas City. Uh, shooting, and I stopped by this club and had did a podcast. And well, you know, this guy said, "Come on out to the comedy club. It's Stanford and Sons. Very nice open mic." And they gave a speech to all these thirty open micers. 
And they got three minutes each, and I got seven because, you know, I directed a movie. I, he must be good. Give him seven minutes. Absolutely. But um, I talked to these young comics that have been doing it a couple years. They're putting tours together themselves and going to bars. And, and I don't know how they're doing it, but it just it fascinates me. They, they said, yeah, we're going to do, do a tour of bar shows. And so I think you have to be a little more uh, entrepreneurial. Is that the word? Entrepreneurial. Yeah. Entrepreneurial. Uh, I've been drinking for a long time. You're behind the camera. You're yeah. not in front. Sorry. I don't have to talk. Uh, you have to be savvy. How about that? And you have to have a little gumption to find these fucking bars that will have you do a comedy show. And just think how bad the crowd must be. Oh, God. You know? Yeah. Talk about <clears throat> bad old days. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost the de-evolution of comedy, but there's so many – like in L.A. now, you can go up I, – I could book myself every night doing a set, but there's no money. Right. Well, that's like the early 80s. You know, you could you could work one-nighters. You might get some money, but a lot of places, particularly in L.A., nobody was paying you. Oh, now, I, I mean, I have to – I park a block away so I don't lose money. <laughs> Let's uh, take a minute out for a message from our sponsor. Here's a classic ad from the folks at Henderson's Pants. Your friends at Henderson's Pants would like to talk to the ladies out there in podcast land. With the summer long over and winter coming on, you might think this is a funny time to be offering a great deal on Henderson's out-of-season clam digger pants. And you'd be right. Due, however, to a horrible error in the Henderson's pre-washing facility in Denton, Delaware, an entire run of Henderson's swing-bottom cruising trousers were shrunk beyond recognition and very nearly discarded by a brain-dead custodian. Kudos to a fast-thinking Carl Fredrickson, the very same Carl Fredrickson who'd been the one responsible for the extreme shrinkage in the first place. Sure, they were originally for slim-hipped men at first, exclaimed Carl as he was being escorted by building security to his car, but we can just call them clam diggers, say they're for ladies, and who'd be the wiser? Who indeed, we'd never tell, and neither will Carl now that he's signed an ironclad non-disclosure agreement in exchange for getting his job back. So from the dustbin to the discount rack come Henderson's out-of-season clam diggers, just in time to be tucked away and forgotten about till you're too fat to wear them. Originally designed for Patty Duke, Mary Tyler Moore, and the cast of The Housewives of New Rochelle, Henderson's out-of-season clam diggers are available for a song and $46 plus any applicable sales tax. That's Henderson's makers of fine leg sheaths and bottom buffers since 1236. And now back to Succotash. Here is a tiny sample before we get back to the interview from the movie I Am Comic. Here's a bit of an interview with Louis C.K. talking about hecklers. I'm really upset when people heckle. It's a thing I can't get over. Or if they were heckling, they thought it would be funny. And when they find out that I'm serious about it, they just go, they, 90% of the time they stop. But when they ignore me or blow me off, like flip me a bird and keep talking or make fun of me, I go crazy. I get really upset. I just laid into this woman and said, you are a bad person. You have a bad, mean heart. And I know you don't think so. You think you're having fun. But I really want you to think about what this is like for me and how awful this is to do this to a person. And she got so upset. Uh, she came up to me after the show. You didn't have a right to talk to me like that. And I said, get, get away. Just go away. You need to go away. One 
heckle comeback, and I've never used it, but it's locked and loaded. I have it ready, and I've just never found a situation where I wanted to use it, but I love it. And that would be to tell somebody, uh, you know, when you were born, the moment you were born, somebody was walking by, and they saw, and you know what they said? They said, hey, look, there's, look, there's some cunt coming out of some cunt's cunt. I never got to use it, though. Structure. Oh, the guy heckling you, though. Oh, I, no, I would never call a woman that. So it seems like you're kind of tuned into the podcast scene. Are there favorites that you have? I have some favorites. Uh, I like to think I have a good eye for talent uh, for, like, in front of the camera and in, in stand-ups. I can, like, okay. Uh, I was really happy to get Nick Kroll as a young guy that's got a new Comedy Central show coming that I think will last more than the th- three minutes. And uh, with podcasts, like I was listening to Mark Marin's before, before it really took off and, uh, and kind of knew, kind of knew it would take off, but never anticipated turning into a show. Amazing. I'm, and I'm happy for his success. And it's fun to watch now as a middle-aged guy. It's fun to watch people come into their own and have success. Whereas a young man, I'd be bitter and, Say, just why like, that guy? Just like Mark was. <clears throat> yeah, oh boy. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, uh, Pete Holmes, you know Pete Holmes? Yeah. You Made It Weird? Yes. You Made It Weird is probably one of my favorites. It's getting a lot of buzz. Well, he just rambles it at such a nice pace. Yeah. And he's, he's so funny and fresh, and I've run into him at shows. He's one of my favorite Young comedians. I will uh, play a clip from that show on this show with your interview. So that'll be good. Now, do we pause right now and let that happen in real time? Let's do it right now. Okay. Let's make it. Let's make it even weirder. You mentioned hair. Yes. You're a bald man. Yes. <laughs> well, this show is so weird. You talk about it in your act. You have jokes about it. Let me. Let me throw this. I at don't you. actually. I don't, don't you not? You don't? No. I thought I just watched a Letterman where you referenced it. You know what? Oh, I'm wrong. I did a whole bit once on one whole Letterman shot. Yeah, okay, that must which have been. was about because we took the kids to Disneyland. You're right, by the way. I don't, as a matter of course, do it in my act of saying, "Well, I guess I'm bald." But right, what right, happened right. was it had happened so recently, and it was all true. I love it was hair true that can be parted. That the Donald <laughs> Duck, whatever it is, or the, or the not Donald Duck, that's Warner Brothers, that the. Uh, Scrooge McDuck or one of those characters uh-huh, in the thing, uh-huh. we're checking in, yeah. and the guy in the costume, they, they're already in the costume, they're at the Little check-in counter, yeah. and he's, but it was a tall one, and I'm checking with the kids and my wife, and he comes over, and he rubs his hand uh, on my head, Yes, and then I turned around, It's I started, you yeah, know, because you think, of course. what the, and I turned around, and he... Remember, they don't speak. Yeah. So he holds his hands on the belly and does the silent rocking back. Uh, <laughs> oh, you <laughs> cocksucker. And then... Oh, and fuck you then forever. extends the four-finger hand oh, for a handshake. Fuck you, buddy. Because every other bald man in history in Disneyland is just trying to check in and thinks, oh, he's being nice. Yeah. But I said, we're comics. Yeah. We at least have some ba- balance yeah. on our feet. And I said to him, let me explain something to you. Oh, Jesus. You're now not hey. talking. You're not talking to Scrooge McDuck. You're speaking I'm, to the boy inside that. I'm talking that. to an actor yeah. inside that costume. Yeah, who? Say, Come on. You're pretty recognizable. Is that on page five of your manual? 
rub the bald man's head it as probably they're checking is. in it probably and is. then pretend to laugh because that's that's a joke for the for the check-in area. Yeah. So I said, let me explain something to you. These are the check-in routines. That's right. Find a pregnant woman. These are all gold. Find a bald man. That's right. Find a pregnant woman and put yeah. your ear down to the stomach yeah, yeah. and then do the same laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then stand up and hold You'd your hand You'd be surprised up. how many of the bits end in the belly laugh. Well, <laughs> what else is there? What other end is there? They can't hold a sign up that says, frankly, I'm thinking of killing you. Uh, they, they, and because I'm so embittered. Actually, that would be the best. If, if, if he went up and rubbed your bald head and then did two fingers to the temple and mimed shooting himself. By the way. That would be the best I would, bit ever. I would dig that and I would yeah. respect it. Wow, that's a great clip from Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes, that's you, great. You made weird. it weird. Yeah. Uh, the Nerdist started it all. Yes. Uh, Sklar Brothers or Sklar, Sklarborough Country. Yeah. Uh, what's that? Oh, uh, Jimmy Pardo. Sure, he was one of the first ones. Jimmy Pardo, a pioneer, a luminary. Uh, Jimmy Dore has a good one. He does. Jimmy Dore. Uh, I liked I liked Jimmy Dore's uh, podcast because he seems so relaxed. And now Todd Glass has a new podcast. I love, I love Todd's uh, podcast. is great. I, I'm I, going to be on his podcast. I'm going to come out of the closet. <laughs> Finally, after all these years. I heard, uh, well, that leads me to a question, actually, for you. Oh, boy. Um, I don't want to get too personal. We don't really get that personal on the show. But I was talking to someone who knows you just before I called. And I said, do you have a question for Jordan? Um, and he said, yes, I do. Uh, and it was, uh, I don't know if you'll remember this gentleman, uh, Ed Krasnick. Oh, sure. Ed Krasnick. Ed Krasnick had uh, This Week in Comedy. He, he wanted me to ask, when you decide to stop being bisexual? When do I decide to stop being bisexual? That's an easy question. You can't be bisexual and faithful. <laughs> it's just they don't go together. The bi together. part knocks out the monogamy part. So, <laughs> like, I've been I've been with my girlfriend for... Six, seven years. Okay, so that would be the answer there. So that would be the answer. Yeah. It's good. But, you know, hey, if things go sour, then <laughs> well, all, all bets are off, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, one of Dana Carvey's only jokes, he doesn't tell a lot of jokes, is um, uh, you can always tell the bisexual person because they reach into somebody's pants next to them and they're pretty much happy with whatever they find. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I always, I always call, uh, I always use the word enlightened. <laughs> we're, we're enlightened, but that's so funny that Ed Krasnick. I mean, maybe he was kidding, but he it was. sounds like he, he was, really thinks he was. that. No, he was, oh. he was kidding. Oh, I know. I've hey, I was on the road in the eighties. I don't know what uh, what else I have to tell you. Ed's actually been helping me out because I did an interview with Ed, and uh, the hard drive I was keeping it on broke, and so we're currently in the middle of our save our hard drive drive. I read about that. Yeah, so we're trying to raise money. So Ed was on the show last week uh, trying to beat the drum to get people to uh, donate to our fund to uh, get that fixed. Folks, if you're listening right now and you have a soft spot in your heart, or maybe you've seen I Am Comic and you enjoyed it, why don't we support Succotash? Why don't we support Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, by sending your donations to uh, – well, you can find out where to send the donation. Sure, just just click the donate button on our website. Nothing happens in the mail anymore. I haven't mailed anything in years. Exactly. exactly. And so, so what are you going to do? You're going to buy more hard drives? No, I just need to get this one fixed. 
so I can oh, get the interviews gotta, off of it. Oh, you got to send it to Israel or something. Because poor Ed is trapped on it, which is a shame. Now, here's a, here's a cuckoo thought. Do another interview? Do another interview. <laughs> we talked about it, but the magic that happened then, it's like what's going on now with you and I, Jordan. Sure. How sure. do you recapture this? You, know? you, you, can't, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. No, no, not even going to try. Uh, so what, uh, what are you doing now? You're in terms of, you said, I don't know if you were joking about a sequel to I am comic. It sounded like you were kind of serious actually. Uh, I'm thinking about it cause I wish I had, I wish I had younger people doing comedy in, in I am comic. And so I think there's a whole generation to be learned. Like I like those guys in Kansas city. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, some of these guys were so funny and you could see they had potential to really develop a comic voice. Yeah. Now that's open. I, it was an open mic, but some of them I talked to actually work on the road. Oh, okay. Uh, and I wish I had more urban guys from, uh, well, like, not that he's young comic now, but Hannibal Burris. Uh huh. Okay. In in two thousand nine, he was bubbling and really hot, and he's really hot now. But I mean, he, he wasn't as well known. And I was hearing about him, and I was like, God, how do I get him? How do I get him in the documentary? And then at some certain point, you just got to stop. Yeah, you know, like Mark Mark Marin, by the way. Uh, I didn't get reacquainted to him until we were at a festival, and Todd Glass couldn't make it for some reason. So I asked Mark to do the Q and A with us. Oh, okay. And it was like, well, why aren't, wasn't I in the? <laughs> of course, I ran out of money, man, and you know I can't, couldn't find everybody. <laughs> I think that's why he'll never have me on the show. Mm. It's funny when he was. Uh, you talked about hearing him early on. And so did I. And when I started Succotash, I reached out and said, hey, I'd love to do an interview with you. And he said, oh, I'm kind of busy. But, yeah, we can work that out. Now can't get a hold of the guy. Hey, I, I have to – in all honesty, I have to give him props because he booked Scheidner and I uh, more than uh, – like at least twice and, and shuffled a date around. Oh, okay. And then, and then Rich was on the road. Yeah. And uh, I interviewed him and put a clip up. Uh, on the DVD extras oh, about okay. about using the mic stand, so it's on Funnier Die. It's on my Vimeo, I think. Okay. But Mark Marin on mic stands. But now, I mean, now he's got yeah. huge guests. I'll, I'll never hear from him again. <laughs> I, I for, <laughs> it's okay. So what? Uh, so you're directing commercials mostly? Is that what? I have a commercial. I have a production company. Mm-hmm. I've been directing commercials for about ten or twelve years. Uh, had some terrible flops at the box office with some movies. Had a lot of fun making them, but uh, uh, fell into commercials as I was making movies. And I love commercials. And I just I have a comedy a comedian that turned into a director. I signed to my roster of directors. Oh, cool! So he directs, I direct. Uh, we're going to sign a couple more people, and then we we you know battle it out for jobs. Oh, cool! So it's a lot of fun. That sounds great. There was there was a documentary from some Bay Area comedians that have a political bent. Hmm. Three guys that went on tour oh, and they yeah, used yeah. a Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Kamal Bell. Yeah, uh, Nato Green, and I can't remember the woman, um, but yeah, that's out there. It's out there. So that one, I I gave him you know probably ten dollars on Kickstarter or something. Don't know him, but it's like you have to. Pay it forward. You got to support. You have to, and, and I wish them the best. I, I've seen some trailers and their video updates that I get uh, from the v, from from the Kickstarter. Yes. 
So I can't wait for the movie to come to L.A. I'm there. Kamal was actually uh, one of the co-stars of a pilot I did for an internet web show that uh, never got going. Um, But uh, I have the pilot, not quite produced, but he played uh, one of the parts in that. And funny guy, it seems. He is. He is a funny guy. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, I met a kid today who did a documentary on Eddie Pepitone. Oh, yeah, the uh, Bitter Buddha. Bitter Buddha. Which I said he should call a night with the bitter Buddha at the Ding Ho. <laughs> I don't know if people listen to the whole episode, but then they get it. <clears throat> then they get it. And they'd be uh, laughing. Oh and, my god! And Eddie Pepitone's a, a funny, a funny guy. And we were talking about you know distribution and where do you go with these things. And I love that. Just like podcasts are infiltrating the you know the, the comedy zeitgeist, each comedy documentary builds on the success of those that came before it yeah. to the point that now there's a site that reviews, like we just got a review last week from side splitter sure. that reviews comedy documentaries. Like, <laughs> who knew it was a genre? <laughs> That's funny. I just saw, um, dying to do Letterman. I don't know if you saw. Yeah, that. I saw Maison. that with Steve Maison. Yeah. yeah French. It, me, no, it's, it's, uh, Mark Pettit it's just featured it here at the uh, Throckmorton theater in Mill Valley. I, yeah, I actually went to uh, – he must have done a screening to qualify for Oscars or something. I went in the afternoon, and Steve was there. Nice guy and a great movie because he – I don't want to – spoiler alert, he gets on Letterman, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he was – it was funny. He was at the screening up here, and Robin Williams, who lives up here, was watching the screening. And we were in the green room afterwards, and Robin said, oh, if I'd known that was happening, I would have called Letterman for you. <laughs> That's a pretty good Robin Williams. Oh, I wanted Robin Williams and uh, for the documentary "I Am Comic" available on iTunes. Sure, but uh, and we had the same manager way back when. Oh, okay. And they they wouldn't help. Huh. I think they were bitter that I wasn't with them. Oh, maybe that's it. They owe, I mean, it, payback. And I put some one of their younger comics in the in the film. Oh, but, but they still she didn't was, care. They still didn't care. Sorry about that. That's just life. Uh, Jordan, I thank you for talking to us. Mark, I'm flattered. I'm flattered. I, I, I got to be honest. Anytime someone has me on a podcast, I think, are they desperate? Because who am I? I'm no. just a guy pimping a movie. Uh, hope to make another one. If it's Weeby Comics, you're going to know about it. Sure. And I have a little experiment that I'm going to try this summer. Oh, I haven't told, haven't told anybody about this, so I'll leave you with this. Succotash exclusive. This is a Succotash exclusive. In July, I have booked myself with these people that call and go, well, why don't you go do it? I've booked myself in the upper left-hand corner of the United States <laughs> for a four-day tour at comedy nights, not bars. Right. But they're, they're comedy. It's a, it's a one-nighter on Wednesday, a one-nighter on Thursday, and a weekend gig uh-huh. somewhere in eastern Washington. And I'm going to film it. And I'm taking a young guy with me who kills. Okay. And right now I have 15 minutes and I have to come up with at least 35. I'm supposed to do 45. I'll never be able to do 45. No material from the past. Like it's all, it's all got to be new material. Because if Louis C.K. can do an hour a year, I should be able to come up with 35 minutes over the last 15 years. Just fill with audience work. Crowd Where are you from? <laughs> There'll be a lot of crowd work. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what to call it, but it's going to examine life on the road 
and and probably do some podcast promotion of it. So I'm going to try to try to tie. I don't really have the thesis. Okay. But it's working the road, and how much money can I not lose? <laughs> I really appreciate you having me on. It's Go my fly. pleasure, Jordan. And when I get to LA next, let's uh, catch up in person. Let's have it. Let's have a glass of wine. Let's do it, man. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for bye bye. I want to thank Jordan Brady for taking a, a long bit of time out to uh, have that interview on Skype with me. It's not always easy to do uh, a remote interview, but he did a great job. It was a lot of fun. You can catch Jordan regularly on the Twitter, at IamComic. Also, be sure to rent or buy the excellent documentary up by the same name, I Am Comic. Let's get into a couple of podcast clips from shows that Jordan likes. Uh, first up uh, is Mark Marin with What the Fuck. Now, Succotashians, of course, are no stranger to hearing clips from WTF. We love it. You love it. And I really enjoyed his recent chat with comic great Fred Willard. I fought to get on SCTV. Remember that show? Sure. There was a Eugene Levy, Eugene Levy. Marty Short, right. John Candy. I saw them in Canada. Rick uh, Moranis. Rick Mar- he he joined it. Uh, oh, those were later. They came from the 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 second city stage. Rick Moranis came in like a year or two into it. I love the show, and I'd run into Joe Flaherty, and I said, "Joe, I love that show. You've got to get me on that show." And, oh, you've got to. And I was on Real People at the time, yeah. so they thought I was the big because I was on Real People. They, yeah. they were on some little. So I did two or three of the shows, and it was great. I most of them were Canadian. Uh, no? I think they're all Canadian. Uh, yeah, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Eugene, Catherine Marty Short. So funny. Yeah. And I just did Martin Short. He just did a new special up in Toronto, and he had me do a part, and I went up to do that. So that's how you got in with them, because you get... You, got you, in with that. How, for, how much did you do on Second City? Uh, I did two or three episodes, and um, I really, I really... But I, uh, my, I sincerely loved it, so it wasn't like, oh, hey, you're the greatest. I really loved it, and I wanted to be on it. I just loved every every character, and I could quote their lines back to them. Oh, yeah. You're a uh, fan of this. No, stuff. really was, and yeah. I still am. I still have their two Christmas episodes, and I quote lines to Eugene Levy, and he doesn't know what I'm talking about. I said, Eugene, you did that on the Christmas episode. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, is that where you met Christopher Guest? Because um, I mean, it seems like he Christopher, uses a lot of them too. Christopher, I met when they did um, Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. Yeah, and I'd known him. I think he was an understudy when I did Little Murders in New York. He was just a, probably a young actor. And I didn't really know him, but I think Eugene Levy was more instrumental in getting me because Eugene writes with Christopher. Where did he come from, Christopher Guest? I mean, where? I mean, like, what was his background? He was an actor. You as, knew him in New York. As or? I found out, he was at a folk group in New York. He was uh-huh. a folk singer. Uh-huh. Uh, he was an actor. He he was in the uh, what's the thing they did down? What were those Catch anim- Rising Stars? What are those yeah. animals that go off the? Uh, Run off, follow each other. Oh, oh, lemmings, right? The he lemmings. Was, okay. was in that. Lampoon's lemmings. And uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. So he was there with all those guys. Was Belushi in, was in that. And yeah. Everybody was in. So he was part of that crew. And I should have known that. And Christopher Guest in, in, at Saturday Night Live. And I always heard a rumor when we did we were doing a Mighty Wind. Someone told me that Christopher Guest is very um, uh, special about who he wants in his. And, and I heard that Mary Travers from Peter, Paul, yeah. and Mary had called him yeah. and wanted to be in it, and he said no. So I asked him one time, I said, Christopher, I've got to ask you, did Mary Travers call you? And she, he says, no, that's not true. He says, but she did babysit for me. <laughs> when he was a kid? When he was a kid. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I mean, he, he knows. So he grew up in it. Yeah. 
You can get yourself more Marin at WTFPod.com. iTunes or download his sweet smartphone app and get yourself some extras. Uh, next up is uh, Doug Loves Movies. Now, I've got to thank Jordan Brady for this final clip. Now, don't go away because we have our burst of durst afterwards. But uh, after we did our interview, he tweeted to me that he had forgotten to mention how much he enjoys Doug Loves Movies with Doug Benson. Now, Doug and I had a bit of a to-do over my playing a clip from his podcast way back in, I think it was episode nine. I went back in and I sliced it out, and I didn't think we'd be hearing from this fantastic podcast again just because it was, eh, I don't know, a little awkward. But after I mentioned uh, that incident in response to Jordan's tweet, I got a direct message on Twitter from Doug saying, I can't stop you from playing clips, just please keep them short. So... Done. So with Doug Benson's sort of blessing, here's a short blast from Doug Loves Movies featuring a cavalcade of guests, Pete Holmes, Rob Hubel, Kumal Nanjani, and Matt Myra. Did anyone see um, Act of Valor? No one? <laughs> There's no Americans what? here. This, this crowd hates real, America. Baby. You hate America. Assholes. I wasn't born here. What's your excuse? <laughs> That movie's got real Navy SEALs, you assholes. Yeah, come on. I, I haven't even heard of it. I just what saw a movie that? with real active... What do you mean you uh, haven't heard of it? Um, it's like a bunch of Navy SEALs fucking duty sweaty duty and doing cool stuff. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, Did I, you see it? No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I'm not, like, 16 and thinking about joining the Navy. <laughs> anymore. I'm going to watch I'm it and anymore. assess the hair length of all of those seals. <laughs> I did see a movie with real-life actual porn stars recently. What was it? A uh, porn movie? I don't they were know in the, the audience? Anymore. What do you mean? Huh? Yeah, what is that? What? <laughs> we all really want to know about yeah, the movie. What do you, you, what do you bring up watch? something you don't know anything I saw a movie that no, I don't remember anything about. Porn stars. Real-life actual porn stars. I in said. the movie? Fucking? Yeah, okay, there's these movies you can get. If you go online, it's full of it. You, uh, there's attractive women uh-huh. with low self-esteem and guys being mean to it. Attractive women? Because I'm watching different porn. <laughs> yeah, get it together. And guys being mean to them. That is the sweetest definition of porn ever. It's like a five-year-old walking in on porn. It's like, pretty ladies and a mean man with his skin sword. <laughs> Shoving it in. He is less than gentle. And then he frosted her face. I sing. Stop it. it. Stop it, Pete. Stop it. He frosted her face. Stop it. That's where you came from, boys. Stop it. Quit quit ad-libbing the next E-Trade baby spot. Oh, man in heaven. Do they ever give you shit? Do Do they ever give you shit about anything that you say or do? That's a great question. Uh, let's find out <laughs> he's the still day waiting. after he's this waiting. comes out. He's waiting for that shoe to drop. It hasn't <laughs> happened so far. We we had we had some discussions about it because it is tricky to be you know out there doing shows. Like Tracy Morgan got in trouble doing this, just a show in front of a live audience. And what's his name? The guy that got kicked off the Oscars, Brett Ratner. He was just like in a and a after a movie. At the yeah, but you know what? You can't say that at the arc light. Yeah. What? But don't they'll say kick it. you out. He what did he re- say? He said so rehearsal is for faggots. Yeah. He should have gotten kicked out. That's a lot to say. First of all, they're very prepared. After he said it, did he look to the ground and go, I don't know why you're all not laughing at rehearsal. (laughs) It's for faggots. That shit's hilarious. (laughs) 
Apparently there's some... Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's just in worse. the room, if it was quiet or people booed, that's all That's all it deserved, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still happy he didn't, you know, because the Oscars, after they kicked him out, it was one of the best ones ever. Ah. <laughs> okay, you want more? Jump up to the home site at douglovesmovies.com, iTunes, and you can also find that he's got famously hilarious past seasons for sale on his website as well. Well, kind of a long show this time. I hope you don't mind. I don't think you really do. We're going to take it home now with our favorite political pundit, Will Durst, and our Burst Durst. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few words about the Supreme Court hearing testimony about Obamacare. Because it's the highest court in the land, we can assume the arguments were solemn, dignified, and incisive. Obamacare sucks. Does not. Does so. Does not. Like that. Only in elevated lawyer language. The Supremes, which are made up of six Catholics and three Jews, and doesn't that sound like the dance card at a KKK lawn-burning jamboree, are determining the constitutionality of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Although nobody really expects them to slog through the whole thing. That's why they call them briefs. The bill is 2,400 pages long. Or 2,700. They're still not sure. Shouldn't they be sure by now? A lot of stuff can happen in 300 pages. We've all read The Hunger Games. Of course, everybody in the court has health care, as well they should. As well we all should. But they're going to need it. Because anybody trying to slog through that much congressional gobbledygook better have a large supply of prescription drugs on hand. The whole country is waiting on surgical pins and insulin needles to find out what the nine cranky millionaires will do. And exactly how does a judge become a millionaire? Speaking fees? What about Clarence Thomas? If they do strike it down, will they just wipe out the individual mandate and pick crumbs and pieces to keep intact, including denial of coverage and pre-existing conditions? And will the ruling fall into the typical liberal-conservative 4-4 split with a single swing vote being the decision-maker? In other words, does the future of American health care really depend on which side of the bed Justice Anthony Kennedy wakes up on that fateful day in June? Poor people might want to try and get this guy a date. Anything to put him in a good mood. For Suckatash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. All right. Thank you, Will Durst. Check him out at willdurst.com. Also on Twitter, at Will Durst, where he's been reporting, actually in both places, his website and Twitter, from the Masters Tournament all this week in Augusta, Georgia. So check that out. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. want to thank Jordan Brady for the interview this week. I want to thank um, engineer-producer Joe Polino for making it all possible even when he's not here. He seems to help me get it all together. Uh, I guess that's going to do it till next time. Uh, until then, please remember to pass the Suckatash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants. And imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com or at Suckatash Show on iTunes and even at Suckatash Show on your smartphone Stitcher app. Follow Suckatash on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Friend Suckatash on Facebook. 
Email us at marc at succotashshow.com or just pick up that phone and give Succotash a ring at 1-818-921-7212. Succotash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino at Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please... Pass the succotash.